And we are continuing our series entitled My Masada, where we are going through Psalm 18, a psalm of King David, uh, written during the height of his power as king. And he's looking back in this psalm at how God was his fortress when his life was threatened. Um, God had been David's safe haven, and that's one of our directives here at TFRC, a safe haven where we are a place for the lost and broken to find peace and healing through Christ and community. And the title of the series, My Masada, Masada means fortress. Masada is also an amazing place. It's built on an isolated rock plateau in southern Israel, about 60 miles south of Jerusalem. And it's significant for two reasons. First, Herod the Great, the Herod from the Christmas story, built a palace oasis on top of it. Uh, that plateau is 18 acres, and Herod's palace had a swimming pool, heated bathhouses, gardens. It was an amazing place of luxury with a great view of the Dead Sea. And then about 85 years later, Masada became famous for another reason. In 66 AD, Jewish zealots revolted against the Roman Empire, and Rome was ruthless in their crushing of the revolt. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. That happened in 70 AD. And Israel would not become a nation again until 1948. Now, in 72-73 AD, the last remnants of the zealots made their final stand at Masada. There was about 1,000 of them. And there were 8,000 Roman soldiers that surrounded Masada. And Masada was so well fortified that it took the Romans months to break into it. And when they did, they found that all the zealots had died by suicide. They chose that rather than to die at the hands of the Romans. Now we are focusing on Masada for this series because about a thousand years before Herod, King David had a fortress in this region of the desert. It's referenced in 1 Samuel 22 and 1 Samuel 24. And no one knows for sure where his fortress was, but some people think Masada was the location. Again, the word Masada comes from the Hebrew word Masuda. Both of those words mean fortress. And even if Masada was not the location of David's desert fortress, it's still a great picture of what it means for God to be our fortress, our Masada. The scripture for today is Psalm 18, verses 25 to 36. You can look it up in your Bibles. Psalms is about halfway through the Old Testament. You can also look it up on your phones. Uh, in Psalm 18, verses 25 to 36, David continues to reflect on who God is and how God had delivered him in times of trouble. Our scripture reader for this morning is Iris Hawkins. Iris, go ahead and make your way on up to the podium. As she does, I'm gonna ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. And we read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives, the primary lens we use to determine how to live. And we stand because we believe this is the word of God. And so Iris, whenever you are ready, please read Psalm 18 verses 25 to 36. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Your Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. 
As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? Who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle, and my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield, and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet, so that my ankles do not give way. Iris, thank you very much. You may be seated. Uh, last March, Shannon and I went to the Oregon coast with some friends. And we, on that trip, we went golfing a few times. Um, now, golf is a mental game. Uh, you need to stay mentally strong. Uh, you have to maintain your emotions. And that's true in all sports, but it's especially true in golf. Uh, and when I get rattled when I golf, I quickly lose my confidence. And when I lose my confidence golfing, then my game is toast. Um, one of the day when we golfed on the Oregon coast, there were a number of factors that caused me to lose my confidence before we even began. Um, we were golfing on a really nice course. It was pretty spendy. Um, and so I already felt out of place. Uh, second, they had a very tight tea time schedule. It was very rigid. And so I felt a little rushed, uh, especially since there were groups waiting behind us. And then third, um, where we were teeing off on the first tee, if we were trying to go, if the fairway was there, 75 yards that way was the 10th tee box, which I thought was insane because it would not be hard for me to slice my ball right into that tee box. And there were guys on the tee box teeing off on the 10th hole. I thought, that's crazy. Um, and so I felt out of place. I was rushed. And there was a good chance that I was going to slice my ball right into those guys over there. Now, I haven't hit a single shot yet. I'm already rattled. My confidence is lost. And so my very first tee shot, I duff like 15 yards this way. And there was a grass knoll right over there. And it's the Oregon coast where it always rains. And so that grassy knoll is more like a giant mud hill. And so my ball went to that mud hill and just sank into the mud. So lost my ball. So now I'm more rattled, but I give myself a mulligan. I hit another ball and I duff it to the exact same mud hill. So now I got two balls in that mud hill that are lost. Long story short, four of my balls are still on that mud hill on the Oregon coast. Now I did finally duff a shot like 50 yards straight and it was in the fairway. So that was good enough for me. And the really good news about the story is not one of my balls sliced into those guys on the 10th hole. So I felt good about that. But it took me most of the front nine to get my confidence back. So in golf, you need confidence. In life, we need confidence. And when we face uncertain times, we need something to give us confidence that everything is going to be okay. And that is what God did for David. He was David's confidence. For over 10 years, David was on the run for his life from King Saul. And throughout that entire time, over a decade, 
David had confidence in God. He had confidence in God's character. Going back to verse 25, where it says, To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. In our world, it is common for the faithful to be taken advantage of. In our world, it is common for those who do what is right to be considered naive. In our world, it is common for the upright to be let down by others. And in our world, it's become harder to believe that if we simply work hard, be good citizens, do what's right in the eyes of God, well, then we can have confidence that things will be good for us. That's becoming harder and harder to believe. And what does our world value more? The powerful, wealthy, famous, good-looking, and talented? Or the faithful, blameless, and pure? See, our world doesn't really inspire much confidence. But God is faithful. And when he sees faithfulness, God responds in kind. God is blameless. And when he sees blamelessness, he responds in kind. And God is pure. And so when he sees purity, he responds in kind. Now look, none of us are 100% faithful, blameless, and pure. Yet God responds when he sees these attributes to any degree. And while the choice doesn't have to be either or, there are plenty of wealthy and talented people who pursue being faithful, blameless, and pure. It is a confidence boost to know that God values our faithfulness and pursuit of righteousness more than our worldly success. And I love the line in the psalm where it says, to the devious, you show yourself shrewd, meaning you are not going to fool God. You're not going to manipulate God. You're not going to pull the wool over God's eyes. You're not going to outmaneuver God. As 1 Corinthians says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Now, I do like to follow college sports. And a key, the key to college sports is recruiting. The most successful college coaches are the best recruiters. Getting the best talent is foundational to winning. And that's not just true in college sports, and true in many areas of life. Get the best talent to have the most success. And that's one of the differences between God and us. Because while we go after the most talented God chooses what the world sees as foolish to shame what the world sees as wise. God chooses what the world sees as weak to shame what the world sees as strong. 
And God chooses the lowly and despised things of the world to nullify that which matters most to the world. There are lots of people who can be successful when they have the best talent, but only God can run circles around the wise and strong with the weak and foolish. And that inspires confidence. David also says that God saves the humble. Now, humble here is not referring to the virtue of humility. It's talking about those who are in humble circumstances. The humble are those who are in need and they know it. Like people who could use a food box from the mustard seed. You know, the people that we often look past is who God sees and saves. The people that, again, the mustard seed sees and serves. Now, the people who are not in need and are arrogant about it, the haughty, those are the ones that God will bring low. The fact that God sees and saves those in humble circumstances is reassuring because at one point or another in our lives, all of us are going to be in humble circumstances. At some point in our lives, we're all going to need some kind of food box, whether a literal one or a metaphorical one. God values faithfulness and righteousness. God cannot be outmaneuvered. And God saves the humble. All of that is God's character and all of that inspires confidence. So we have confidence in God's character. We also have confidence in God's excellence. Going to verse 30 in the passage, where it says, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? David lived in a time when people worshipped many gods. In fact, idolatry was the number one danger for the Israelites because they were always tempted to worship other gods. And more often than not, they fell to that temptation. Now today, idolatry is more of a foreign concept. Worshiping gods like Baal or Asherah is not a temptation for us at least. But there is another way to understand idolatry. A general definition of idolatry is to believe anything other than God is the ultimate source of power. So we may treat, you know, money, fame, or success as gods because we believe that they are the ultimate source of power to get what we need or want. And the truth is, whether it's the gods of David's time or the gods of our time, God is unlike anything else. There is nothing else in heaven or on earth that can replace God. David is emphasizing how God is unlike anything else. His ways are perfect. His word is flawless. As it says in Exodus 15, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Who is God beside the Lord? Or in other words, 
who would you replace God with? Would you replace God with Baal or Asherah? Would you replace God with all the money in the world? Would you replace God with all the power in the world? Would you replace God with all the fame in the world? Would you replace God with all the success in the world? Now let's ask ourselves a hard question. Based upon how we live, what have we replaced God with? Based upon how we live, what have we replaced God with? Because who is our rock besides our God? God is unlike anything else or unlike anyone else. His ways are perfect. His excellence is unmatched. And that inspires confidence. There's confidence in God's character and his excellence. And there's also confidence in God's equipping. David had his desert fortress. Now, fortresses are great in keeping a person safe. However, there is a catch with any fortress. In order to receive the protection, the fortress offers. You have to go to the fortress. Listen to what David says about God in verse 32. It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. God arms me with strength, makes my feet like that of a deer, trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. His saving help is my shield. God is our fortress. Doesn't mean we have to go somewhere to receive God's protection. God's fortress protection goes with us. God gave David the hands and arms trained for battle so that if David faced a battle, he didn't have to run to the fortress. He was actually equipped to face the battle. And in verse 36 says that God can provide a broad path for our feet, meaning that God can clear a path so that our ankles, as the passage says, won't give way. But verse 33 says something else. That God can give us the feet of a deer. Now, there are deer that live in the desert of Israel. They're called ibex. Now, when we think of the deer we encounter, the feet of the deer, we may associate that with swiftness. Deer are fast, so God can make us fast. But that's not what the ibex, the deer of the Israel desert, are known for. Here is what they're known for. Look at this ibex. Now listen to verse 33. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. Look at the cliff that Ibex had to climb. 
Now, to use the metaphor, sometimes these are the cliffs in front of us. And we want God to make the cliff, you know, can you ease the slope a little bit? <laughs> Help me a little bit. And God can do that. But sometimes God gives us the feet of the deer. The ibex is able to go to impossible places because of their feet. God doesn't have to make the path easy for us. In fact, God often doesn't <laughs> make the path easy for us. God gives us the feet for the path we're on. God isn't a fortress we have to stay in. We don't stay in the fortress. The fortress goes with us. God goes with us wherever we go. We don't have to stay in the fortress to receive its protection. The fortress protection goes with us. God will give us what we need to make through what is in front of us. God gives us the feet to go where we need to go. He doesn't always make the path easy. He just will give us what we need to make it. God arms me with strength, trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. God often does not take away our battles. He gives us what we need to make it through them. And one more thought about God equipping us is he doesn't just give us our talents and resources for our benefit. He gives us our talent and resources for others so that we can be a safe haven for someone else. Again, it could be as simple as helping the mustard seed with their food pantry. But God equips us to be a safe haven for others. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. And that changes everything. Jesus' presence is the source of our confidence. As Jesus said in Matthew 18, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus, our fortress, goes with us. So when we are unsure of what is ahead, when the road in front of us seems daunting, when our enemies are more than we can overcome, we need to have the confidence that everything will be okay. And that doesn't mean that everything is going to work out for us. It means having the confidence that it will be okay even when everything doesn't work out for us. God's character is unchanging. His excellence is unmatched. And God equips us for what is ahead. He trains our hands for battle, gives us feet for the path. God is our confidence. Please pray with me. And Lord, for that truth, that you go with us, we are thankful. And Lord, I would ask that you would open our eyes and see the ways that you are with us, to see your character, to see your uniqueness, to see how you give us what we need to make it through what is in front of us.
Lord, again, we ask that you would encourage our hearts, especially for those of us that are in one of those situations, we have no idea how we're going to get through this. And so, Lord, just, again, give us a real sense of your presence, comfort, and grace. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. And receive God's blessing. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.